Welcome to Deal of the Week, Bloomberg's podcast on the world of deals, mergers, and acquisitions. I'm Ed Hammond, Bloomberg's senior deals reporter, and joining me today in New York is Tara LaChapelle from Bloomberg Gadfly and Sarah Forden from the Washington, D.C. team at Bloomberg. Guys, this week we're going to be talking about the in, now seems imperiled merger between AT&T and Time Warner. This was something that everyone thought would get done. In fact, I remember standing on the street with a hedge fund guy less than two weeks ago, and he said it will all be over by Christmas. And now it's got that sort of First World War feeling where everyone is in the trenches, and it could go on for a very, very long time indeed. So, Sarah, I want to kick it off with you just because you guys have been doing a great job of sort of keeping us posted on the day-to-day machinations of this. Where are we? Sort of what, what's the latest in terms of the negotiations between the Department of Justice and uh, AT&T? Well, the latest we're hearing was that there was a, a big meeting with the head of the antitrust division last Monday, not yesterday, but a week ago. And from what we can tell, there are not active discussions currently going on. Uh, it seems like each camp is retreating to figure out the next steps. And, and we're fully expecting the Justice Department to file a lawsuit in the coming days. So why would that be that they're not talking? Like, because they seem there seem to be a lot of stuff coming out in the press about sort of who said what and who's demanded what and which remedies potentially have or haven't been offered. Why would they be in a position now of being, I suppose, sort of pens down? So what we're understanding is that, and, and, and what we've reported also coming up to this moment, is that the companies and the Justice Department were negotiating around what are called behavioral conditions. So it's agreements by the companies to not shut out competitors, to offer content fairly, to, to do things that would offer a level playing field um, for players in this sort of you know growing media market. And what happened there was the new Trump appointee uh, to the antitrust division came in and went over everything that had been done by his staff before he got there. And he is of the view that these behavioral remedies are not a good idea. And they turn the Justice Department into a, a regulator rather than an enforcer. And he took a look and he, you know, told the companies that he didn't think anything would work short of selling one of the big divisions to reduce the, his concerns about anti-competitive harm as a result of the deal. And that apparently is a non-starter with the companies. Um, you know, Randall Stevenson has said he has no intention of selling CNN or the Turner Broadcasting Unit. And so they are at a standoff. But this is fascinating, right? Because this is Del Rahim who's come in. Everyone thought this was going to be a sort of, you know, traditional light touch Republican. And thus far, at least, he's proving to be anything but. But I suppose that the really interesting thing is this is a vertical merger, or at least this is been positioned as a vertical merger by both companies and I think the, the press to some extent as well. Isn't it quite unusual to ask for these kind of remedies in a vertical merger, i.e. divestitures, and, and in, in the case of potentially the, the CNN assets, the huge divestitures? Yeah, it is. It is definitely has surprised everyone. Um, but there are, you know, some some things to think about behind this, and and one is that. You know, this, we're seeing unprecedented consolidation in the media sector, and we're seeing, you know, this race for, uh, by companies to gain control over content. And it's all about uniting the content with the distribution. And so that's exactly why AT&T is, is going for this deal. Um, but his concern is that then they could shut out other players and that because they're so powerful, they can dictate terms. And there's another concern that hasn't been reported as much, but it's about also being able to coordinate with other big players like Comcast, um, you know, which which grew through the Comcast NBC deal. 
and um, eventually kind of follow each other up with higher prices. So there's also concern about, you know, raising prices for consumers who want to consume, you know, good entertainment. So while the idea of, of using asset sales to sort of dilute the harm and dilute the power is relatively unusual. There is some legal basis for it. Um, we're actually working on a, on a piece about that to show how it can actually really address, address the harm in a more effective way than a behavioral remedy. So Tara, I, I want to bring you in on this. Look, the divestitures that have been suggested and it's kind of unclear who's asked for what and who said they could do what. But if they were, if AT&T were to be forced to sell one of these very, very large assets that's being talked about, is it realistically a buyer for it? Is this going to be spun off into a separate company? I mean, what happens if, if we get to the point where they are selling one of these assets? I mean, there absolutely are buyers for any of these assets, but I don't see AT&T willingly giving them up. I'm, on the one hand, they have DirecTV, which is one of the businesses that reportedly the DOJ asked to be uh, divested. And AT&T acquired that for about $67 billion two years ago. And that business value has deteriorated massively over the last two years because they've been hemorrhaging video subscribers. But it's still a very crucial part of the AT&T story. If they want to be big in video entertainment, they need that distribution to pair with their wireless network. Um, and then DirecTV also has the DirecTV Now streaming app, which has been pretty successful for what it is. It's very small. It's not going to drive a lot of profit, especially since it's such a cheap package. But that's where the future is heading. And it's growing a lot faster than a lot of the other streaming apps that have launched. So I think they need that. And then they really need Turner. I think if this were, you know, rewind a few weeks back before this became sort of a, a big dramatic saga, I think that AT&T wouldn't have been completely opposed to divesting CNN. I don't think the news network is uh, such a crucial piece of them being this big entertainment player. But I think now they're not going to be willing to give it up, especially with all the talk that's been around this. And I, I think Turner is just you know a deal breaker if they have to get rid of that. They're going to need that cash flow. I mean, never mind the fact that it's so core to their advertising content strategy. I think that when AT&T closes this deal, the massive amount of debt that they're going to have, I mean, it's going to be really hard for them to balance the cash flow between paying down that debt, which I think is going to be sort of a, a bottom priority for them, and balancing their dividend, which is extremely important for investors in a, in a communication stock, and then also balancing the fact that they need to pay a lot of money to build out their 5G wireless network. And that's sort of the linchpin for all of this. So they're really going to need that money. And I don't think they can realistically divest it. So I guess that raises the obvious question, what can they divest? Like you guys talk to them and sort of people around them and I suppose people in the know. Is there anything that we're aware of that AT&T maybe is looking to divest or at least offer as a remedy? Like I said, I think a few weeks ago, CNN wouldn't have been completely off the table. But with Randall Stevens's public comments now and being so concerned about sort of the employees there and the optics around this, given the Trump piece of it and being concerned that Trump is driving this, I don't think they can divest anything now. I think it's going to come down to taking this to court where they stand a really good shot or some of the behavioral remedies that Sarah talked about. I think that's more likely, and they can point to precedent on that, because when Comcast bought NBC Universal, it came down to behavioral remedies only. So I want to go to, to this piece about Trump, because inevitably that is uh, the most fascinating thing in this whole story. <laughs> so, so Sarah, you and your team had a great story overnight about how um, AT&T, essentially, if this does go to litigation, is going to try and get the communication between the White House and justice um, to see, you know, if and to what extent the White House has interfered in this. 
Is it possible for AT&T and Time Warner to get a fair hearing, sort of bearing in mind everything that Trump has said publicly about this deal, both before it happened and, and now that it's sort of, um, you know, heading towards or it seems heading towards litigation? Well, absolutely, because in the antitrust um, case, these are uh, judge trials, not jury trials. So it's not about putting this before, you know, jury of your peers. Um, it's handled by a judge who presumably has the, you know, the background and the experience to, to decide based on the law. And what, you know, what Macon, Delrahim and the DOJ lawyers will have to do is show the judge why a, a combination of these two companies would hurt competition and, and reduce choices for consumers. And, you know, on the other side, AT&T and their lawyers are going to be fighting back saying, you know, this isn't fair, this is going to be pro-competitive, this is going to give great products and to, to consumers. And and by the way, this whole lawsuit is is political. It has no basis in law. So so this is a big fight that is, is shaping up. And um, one thing we know is that the company's strategy all along has been to play the political card if this got nasty. And so um, the, the messaging around this deal up to now has been completely dictated by the companies. And they were creating an air of inevitability around the deal. They were keeping it very low profile. They weren't talking it up. But now they're pulling out the big guns. And by doing that, they're almost clouding this process and signaling to people, well, this is sort of a joke and, you know, it, it's Trump pulling the strings and, you know, getting people to kind of just inevitably root for the companies, which is, you know, a shady way of going into this. I would it's say. fascinating. And, yeah. and what we do know about Del Rahim, I mean, he doesn't have a track record as an antitrust enforcer, but he has been in Washington for many years. He is respected. He has been on the Hill. And our sense is that he really, you know, feels deeply that this merger is a problem. He felt that that also the NBC Comcast um, merger was a problem. And he's gone back and looked at the consent decree. He's looking at all, a number of consent decrees um, that have been done by the Justice Department over the years. And, and one distinction I will make here is that in the NBC Comcast case, there was also the FCC involved. And they were the ones who were then tasked with overseeing the consent decree. But the FCC is not involved in this review. And so it's just the Justice Department. So it's really going to be based on the law. And you guys both mentioned then there's the, the fact that the companies thus far have been sort of dictating the message around this. I mean, this process, this sort of, you know, wrangling between justice and the companies seems very, very public, unusually so. Is there a reason for that, why this is being played out sort of in the public domain to the extent it is? Well, I think it's part of the posturing on both sides. And this, this does typically have happen um, at this stage of a big, complex merger. And, you know, it is ultimately about what the end game is and how they're going to get there. So, um, you know, the businesses, the companies will typically come in and try to give up as little as possible to get their deal done. So an example would be the, the InBev Modelo deal where um, the Obama um, Justice Department sued the companies. And after a weekend of sort of restructuring the deal, they divested a whole group of Modelo brands and brewing operations in the U.S. and in Mexico and came back with a new deal that the Justice Department approved. So, so it is a power struggle. You know, the Justice Department wants to get as much as it can to, you know, further its goal of protecting competition and the companies want to give up as little as possible. And somehow they're either going to have to meet somewhere in the middle 
and it could be painful, <laughs> or, or you know, then the law will take over, and if they go to court and follow the process through, they could either um, have a judge issue a an injunction blocking the deal, or the judge could say, no, no thing to see here, and he could let it through. So there's there's also the potential that it could go, if, they, if AT&T wins, it could go through without any conditions. And is the expectation at the moment that it would go that far, or do we think they will find some sort of settlement between themselves before before that happens? At this stage, I can't even answer that question. It seems now that there's no middle ground, but um, you know, I can't imagine that AT&T doesn't have a plan B. Um, they've been in this position before. It's actually very interesting to see now how six years after they failed to by T-Mobile. They are now back in Washington fighting the Justice Department, you know, potentially facing a, an antitrust lawsuit. And Tara, what does this mean for other mergers or other people considering potential mergers, particularly big, complex ones, you know, be they vertical or horizontal? Yeah, I mean, this is the litmus test, right? I mean, everyone thought that Republican administration, much more open to mergers. Trump is sort of seen as this quote-unquote pro-business uh, president, I guess you could say, whether there's evidence of that or not. So there was a high expectation that this would go through and it would offset sort of a chain reaction. And I think that's probably what the regulators are concerned about, because even though this is called a vertical merger, which I think is a term that kind of came up during the Comcast NBC Universal situation, and and probably the regulators regret using that kind of a term because now it's used as a defense mechanism. AT&T can say, look, we're not buying a competitor. It's a vertical merger. It doesn't harm anyone which isn't, you know, obviously isn't going to be the case. I mean, any sort of uh, concentration of power like this comes down to them wanting to have more pricing power, which is something all of their individual divisions are losing. Um, So I I think that... If AT&T does get get this deal done, we'll see a lot of other companies start to do these cross-industry deals. I mean, we already saw this year uh, lots of rumors about what Verizon could do. Uh, CEO Lowell McAdam at Verizon said publicly, um, I think to a Bloomberg News reporter, that you know he'd be willing to take a call from uh, CBS or Disney or any of those companies, even Comcast, which would be mega deals. And not just as far as the amount of money and debt involved and, and the amount of assets, but the power, because we are talking about media content, which is, you know, how we inform the public and how do you want that to be concentrated and how many, you know, how much competition should there be and how many options should there be? If they're all controlled by the same companies, it raises a lot of questions and it's something we've really never seen before. Yeah, and it's such a crucial question, this issue of power, because, you know, as you say, the sort of verticality of these industries has changed so much. If you look at something like Amazon, I mean, Amazon has bought a lot of stuff and you could say none of it's vertical, but its concentrated power is so enormous that at some point, you know, does that get looked at as Absolutely. a, as a I mean, case? The Amazon Whole Foods deal skated by so willy-nilly. And it's fascinating because, I mean, Amazon now owns Whole Foods. It's like, that's, that's huge, but it, it couldn't really, I mean, how could you block something like that? And you can't say that it hasn't been materially damaging for the competitors of Whole Foods. You only Absolutely. need to look at their market values to and not that. just their competitors, but the food companies that supply them. So look, we come to the very interesting final question of how to trade this 
spread. This has gone way out. It's now, I'm looking at it on my screen, it's uh, about 14.5% from almost sort of no spread at all just a few weeks ago. Um, so Tara, put yourself in the head of an ARB. What do you do? <laughs> well, everyone's bracing for Arbageddon because <laughs> we just saw the Sprint T-Mobile talks collapse, of course, and a lot of people were banking on that. And with this deal, I mean, so many merger arbitragers thought this was a slam dunk and, you know, the gains would just be massive. So to see AT&T's stock down 21% year to date and they have a partial stock offer for Time Warner and the spread now implying a far less than 50% probability of the deal closing, I mean, Obviously, everyone is extremely nervous, but I, I think it's sort of binary. I think that ultimately this is going to go to court. I don't see how AT&T can find enough to divest that would satisfy the DOJ at this point, just as, as far as reading the tea leaves where we are today. And if the DOJ did want to try to wrap this up before Thanksgiving, I think that's really unlikely. So it looks like we're probably headed to court. And for right or wrong, it seems like AT&T stands a pretty good shot just because of the precedent and because of how, I mean, how do you prove that this deal is harmful? We know it could be. We know it could uh, lead to higher prices down the road for consumers. But the, at the end of the day, how do you make that case, especially when one of their competitors has already done it? So at this point, I think ARBs are just going to be looking to see, you know, how does this play out in court? And the timing is going to stretch on for far longer than a lot of investors, I think, were willing to stomach. So that's going to put a lot of pressure on these stocks in the meantime. Listen, guys, thank you so much. It's been a fascinating discussion, and uh, I'm sure it will continue to play out in the weeks and months ahead. Lots of power and influence and just a few billion dollars of trading as well. So that's it for this uh, week's episode of Deal of the Week. You can expect more from Bloomberg reporters and M&A professionals who are doing deals in real time. Until then, you can find us on the Bloomberg Terminal and at Bloomberg.com, as well as on Apple Podcasts, Google Play, or any app that you can use to listen to podcasts. And take a minute to rate and review this show while you are there. You can find me on Twitter at EdHammondNY. You can find Tara on Twitter at... Tara Lush. And you can find Sarah on Twitter at... Sarah Forden. Sarah Patterson is our producer and Francesca Levy is head of podcasts. 